It is great to have you with us on The Bounce today. I'm Bob Lapine. I'm the lead pastor at Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, also a part of the Great Commission Collective. Our church is a part of GCC, and I serve on the board at GCC. For those of you who are new to The Bounce or new to the Great Commission Collective, uh, we are a collective of churches committed to planting gospel-centered, gospel-rich churches all around the world. And you can find out more about our churches and what unites us when you go to our website, gccollective.org. And this podcast is one of the tools we try to provide for church leaders and church planters to help us think about how we execute ministry that is gospel rich. Today, we're going to be talking about the significance and the importance of having godly men serving alongside a lead pastor in the role of an elder, actually in the role of a shepherd, because what comes right down to it, that's at the core of what men are called to if they are called to uh, being an elder. And Tim Whitmer is going to join us. Dr. Tim Whitmer is uh, Professor Emeritus at Westminster Theological Seminary. He has served as a local church pastor in a number of settings. He has written a book called The Shepherd Leader, which gives an outline of what it looks like to have godly men functioning in leadership in the local church. And I had the opportunity to visit with him and talk about leaders as shepherds. Tim, I think you know that at the Great Commission Collective, um, th- this idea of of plurality of leaders and uh, men who are called to eldership being not just uh, serving a term like they're on a board of directors, but men who are called to something bigger than that. This is central to to who we are, and and we believe that this is vital for healthy church planting. And I have to tell you a story. Uh, the church that uh, I helped to plant back in 2008, our first eight years, we did not have any full-time staff, but we had seven very active, godly elders who looked at their role as elders as their second job almost. You know, they they were mm-hmm. that involved in what they were doing. We got to a point where we couldn't manage the ministry and the rest of our lives as bivocational part-time shepherds. And so we we called somebody who was full-time, but this is eight years into planning a church without mm. a, a paid senior pastor. And I, I tell you all of that because I've had the, the, the joyful experience of working alongside uh, godly committed men who mm. who see being an elder the way the Bible sees being an elder. And I'm so grateful for uh, the, the work that you've done and the book that you've written about shepherding, the shepherding pastor, to help us understand not just eldership, but but what the what what we're all called to in church leadership, which is more than just taking a vote, passing the budget, making sure the deacons are doing what they're supposed to be doing, and then uh, <laughs> moving on from there. Where did this burden first enter your? How how did this subject become something that you were burdened by? Um, it actually found its roots in my doctoral work at RTS. I did my, uh, doctor of ministry degree there, RTS, uh, Orlando. And when it came time to do my uh, dissertation, 
I thought, well, since I've been involved in church planting and uh, church revitalization, that, of course, I should be concerned about evangelism, and I've always been very concerned about evangelism. But then I realized that in both of those experiences, uh, both churches grew, but at a certain point, the church gets a certain critical mass of people. We noticed that there was a plateau that happened. And we looked at each other and said, well, I thought we took in 40 new members this year. How come our Sunday morning attendance is exactly the same? Hmm. And uh, we realized that the the answer was that because people weren't being cared for, uh, they weren't establishing relationships, they weren't involved in ministry, and so they they came in the, the side door or the front door and went out the back door, and nobody even knew or noticed and so that was a that was a burden for me. And so I began to teach this material at Westminster Seminary. And um, I had a class in leadership, and every year I would have them do a, a one of those go out and interview the pastor deals. So they knew they knew Whitmer students were coming every year with a different question. And uh, this year it happened to be on the question of shepherding, and. You know, does this church have a shepherding ministry? What is it? So, that's probably twenty-five students representing twenty churches because a couple of them were in the same church. But it was shocking because very few of those churches at the time had any kind of shepherding ministry. And then I started being consulted by by folks who were saying, you know, we we don't know what we're doing, and and so they began asking me questions and. Uh, I was compelled, really uh, convicted that I needed to to write to write on the subject. So that's the that's the the shorter shorter story of a long story. And, and I'm wondering, with that, when you say they didn't have a shepherding ministry, these were churches that were doing some kind of discipleship. There was some kind of spiritual growth happening in people's lives, right? Yeah, I would say so. Except the people who were supposed to be leading were we're doing what so many churches do is is their leaders are decision makers and not really uh and disciple makers mm-hmm. um so yeah i would say that many of these churches are great churches uh but unfortunately this this plurality of the elders in caring for the flock was not being attended to and so those sheep were not being attended to. I think most of the time, um, churches have been influenced by more by corporate boardrooms than they have mm-hmm. been by reading the Bible. When they look around and say, well, we need a governing board. We need people who we've got our checks and balances who are keeping their eyes on what's going on. And so when the elders have their elders meeting, it's, it's more of mm-hmm. a business meeting mm-hmm. than it is a, a shepherding meeting. Mm-hmm. And it's not that there aren't business issues that need to be attended to, but we've kind of neglected the whole the, the whole thing God raises elders up for, and that is is discipleship and shepherding, right? Right. In fact, one of the most helpful elements of the shepherd leader was the distinction that uh, recognizing what you say that those decisions we make on a corporate level for the church are very important. 
But as I wrestled with the fact that, you know, the Bible is talking about relational ministry and um, loving, loving the Lord and loving the sheep, um, uh, I came up with a distinction between mac- macro shepherding and micro shepherding. Right. And uh, macro shepherding has to do with our responsibilities toward the congregation as a whole, corporately. But micro shepherding is the relational dynamic that that is really the heart of of everything. Is really the basis upon which we can make uh, reasonable and the right decisions for the flock on that mac on the on the macro level too. I'm, I'm thinking of church planters who one of the things they want to do early on, many of them, is start to look around and say, "Who might serve as an elder alongside me mm. in mm-hmm. this ministry?" And oftentimes they're looking for who's who's energetic, mm-hmm. who's uh, who seems really committed, who supports me, um, mm-hmm. who knows his Bible and is theologically sound. But as as I'm looking at your material, I'm thinking there's there may be a missing element as we look at who the elders ought to be. I know in our church we, we have said that. We're not uh, we're not calling men to be elders. What we're trying to do is observe who mm-hmm. is already eldering in our church, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we're saying God appears to be calling this man out into that kind of ministry, and then we just confirm what we see God doing. But what we're looking for is people who are doing life on life, one on one. They're they're discipling. They're pouring into yeah. the lives of other people. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, I would say that the other part of that is. Then to to take those folks and to uh, to invest in them as a church planter. Uh, if you know, people have asked me. Of course, I I'm now interim pastor of a church out here in Lancaster County again. So yeah. that's why Carl Truman calls me the uh, Frank Sinatra of ministry. Retire <laughs> retire early and retire often. Uh, but you know, people ask me the question. Well, what was, what would you do differently over the course of, of your ministry? And the, I think the, the answer that I've come to is that I would have invested more of my time and energy in the men of the church. Hmm. Because as I've gone, as I've gone and consulted for, with churches really all around the world, the question that keeps rising up is, well, we don't have enough elders. Where do we find elders? Mm-hmm. Well, it goes to what you're saying uh, Bob, about um, identifying those who are already involved in ministry to people, but then taking them aside and investing in them and training them and helping to move them along um, in the queue of leadership, if you will. And that's what the book's all about, really. It's it's the training manual that you've developed so that a pastor can help men see what an elder is supposed to look like. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. I want to ask you about a particular uh, part of the book near the end. You provide some practical guidance as, as we're looking at what an elder should be. You identify seven essential elements of an effective shepherding ministry. Yes. And I'd, I'd just like to kind of work my way through this. I'm not expecting you to pull these up by memory. I'll, I'll give you the the seven. You you can just comment on first. A shepherd needs to be biblical. Is that just somebody who has a good understanding of, of the scope of scripture? Well, I think it, that is 
for sure. But uh, my point in that first essential is that uh, a shepherding plan and a shepherd, they have to be convinced that this function of shepherding is biblical. Uh, because if they're not, I mean, that's why this is number one. If they're not convinced that it's biblical, then they should have nothing to do with it. But since it is biblical, therefore, there should be a conviction uh, in their hearts uh, through the Spirit that this is something God is calling them to do. So it's, it's biblical in the sense that we believe the Bible prescribes for churches to be ruled by or to be led by a team of elders. And let, let me ask you in that regard, is is the lead pastor in that setting? Yeah. Uh, some have described him as a first among equals. What's the right way to think about a lead pastor in that setting? I think that's the right way to think about it myself. Uh, so that um, the plurality of the elders, of course, in my setting in the PCA, the, the pastor is a teaching elder and uh, we we really do view the the teaching elder as the first among among equals as a fellow shepherd, not just as a talking head, but a, a fellow shepherd who is being an example, not only to the flock but to the other elders as to what this kind of shepherding care looks like. Not only is this to be biblical, right? But we're, are we to view it biblically? But you say we should look at it systematically. Explain what you mean. Uh, what I mean by that is that there there has to be a plan uh, to do this. So it's a nice thing to say, okay, this is something that that we we should do, but you have to sit down and figure out uh, how you're going to do it. We look, of course, one of the examples, classic examples that I refer to in the book is Richard Baxter in Kidderminster. Uh, he had a thousand families that he visited. Uh, <laughs> And uh, he got to all of them, you know, he didn't get to all of them very often, but he got to all of them. And so, but he had a plan. He had a plan. Mm -hmm. And as uh, J.I. Packer said, uh, it actually was in his intro to the Reformed pastor, he said, if we're convinced that this is something that we need to do, we'll find a way, though we might not do it the way Baxter did it, where there's a will, there's a way. So there needs to be a plan. But together with that plan, it has to be something that's realistic for the elders to embrace. Uh, and so that's somewhat culturally determined. And um, so if you say to uh, an urban elder, okay, you're to visit your sheep twice a year in their homes, that's probably not going to work. <laughs> so right. there needs to be a, a different approach, but it has to be uh, – a systematic systematic plan and and I will confess to you that this is something that in our eldering context we have had to reinvent over and over and over yes. again because we will set up our plan and we will execute our plan for a while and then the plan kind of runs out of steam and the list of people that I had well we've got some of those have moved and some new people have moved in and so we've had to kind of regularly regroup and replan yes and make adjustments along the way but but if you don't have a plan if you're not systematic about it Nothing's going to happen, is it? No. Uh, in fact, the church I'm serving now, uh, they had a plan around COVID, but it it just collapsed. Yeah. It's non-existent. And so we are we are now reinvigorating it, shall, shall I say. 
uh, and it's a joy to do it. We need to look and say, is this biblical? Do we agree it's biblical? Do we have a plan put together? Mm -hmm. And then you say it needs to be comprehensive. Explain that. Yeah. Uh, To be comprehensive means that it has to include every member of the church. This is why I think, you know, church planters are a real advantage here because if you start with a commitment to shepherding, then, you know, as you add people, you can cover them as they come in. And you're going to be having more people than you did at the start. But at the start, hopefully it's going to be a manageable number. But uh, just to give you an example of the, the comprehensiveness issue, when I went to a church here in Lancaster County, uh, it was a church that was a UCC congregation. And by God's grace, was able to bring them into the PCA. Wow. But uh, yeah, that's another story for another day. Yeah. And um uh, when we looked at the membership role, this was a church that was founded in 1732. And the membership role, there were 900 people on the membership role in a church that had 60 people attending on Sunday mornings. So if in Hebrews 13, 17, the people are told to respect their leaders because there are those who are going to have to give an account, well, we need to know those for whom we are going to give an account. And as far as I'm concerned, that starts with the membership role. Uh, so this comprehensiveness test begins with making sure your membership role is accurate. And then you go from there and say, okay, these are, at least I know this many people are those for whom we're going to have to give an account and therefore those over whom we must exercise shepherding care. So the comprehensiveness test means basically to make sure you have every member uh, covered. And there are churches, you know this, churches being planted and starting up these days, they have made membership uh, mm-hmm. less of a priority. They have said, all you have to do to be a member is say, this is where we're coming to church. And now you're a member if you kind of declare it. Um, there, there are some pitfalls there if, if we're not serious about our membership roles, right? Absolutely. I think I think membership is a mutual commitment. It's a, it's a commitment uh, of the elders to uh, care for the sheep. And it's also uh, a commitment of the people to respect the leadership of the elders. So many things flow out of this mutual commitment. To be honest with you, Bob, I don't even understand how churches can function without membership. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, that mutual commitment needs to be there. And again, it goes to Hebrews 13. If I'm a leader in a church, who are those for whom I'm accountable before God? That's right. And if there's no delineation, how do you, how do you know that? And the person, cause I've had this happen in our congregation. Somebody says, well, I don't see anything about church membership in the Bible. Uh, what, what do you say to that guy? Well, I say to that guy, it's one of those things in scripture It doesn't say you have to join the church, but uh, there are lists uh, in Scripture of people being connected with particular congregations. Mm -hmm. And once again, I think it it really boils down to this mutual respect and accountability relationship. And a commitment. We live in a low-commitment culture. 
Yeah, we and, do. And we, we need to stress there's we're, – we're pledging ourselves. I like what Scott Sauls said. He said, you know, a, a church membership is a group of imperfect people joining themselves to another group of imperfect people <laughs> uh, to form an imperfect fellowship for the glory of God. Yeah, right. but but it starts with intentionality and commitment, and say, I'm pledging myself to you. Not just moving in together, we're we're getting married. That's right. In fact, uh, when people join uh, church in the PCA, one of the things we do is, um, and most churches do this in some form or another, they have people, uh, they have the people come forward and affirm certain membership commitments. Uh, but I added one. I, well, I've gone out of bounds, you know, to add something. Uh, but after the members make their commitment, I turn to the congregation. I ask the elders to stand. And I say, do you, as the elders of this congregation, now take responsibility to care for those who, for these who are now members of your flock? And they say, we do. And that is, to me, an electric moment. Um, as you see, the reminder between the shepherds and not just the new members, but resonating with the existing members that this is one of the things the elders are committed to do. Okay. Shepherding ministry is biblical. It's systematic. We've got a plan. It's comprehensive. We're looking at all of those under our care. It also needs to be relational. Mm -hmm. Basically, this is that elders, elders need to know who their people are and people need to know who their shepherd is. Um, One of the most important dynamics of the shepherding relationship we see in John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I know my sheep and they know me. There has to be a mutual relationship. Uh, This is where the credibility of the elder uh, is established in coming into relationship with people. And uh, again, the, the longer I've been in ministry, the more I see that ministry is about relationships Mm-hmm. And unless there's a credible uh, relationship, then you're not going to be in a position to really help them or disciple them or discipline them, uh, as God may call you to do uh, on occasion. But, you know, I got to tell you, Bob, I, I like Chef Ramsay and Kitchen Nightmares. I have to tell you, because <laughs> I wish... Sometimes I wish I could, except for the profanity, I wish I could go to, uh, wish I could go to a church and and you know, just kind of sample the service and sample the sermon, and and just be blunt. Say, you know, your people are kind of most unfriendly people I've ever seen. No wonder people never come back to your church. Wouldn't you love to be able to just say that? Uh, or you know, your your nursery really stinks. I mean, it really stinks. Um, but there's one, there's one shepherding assessment that I think beats them all. And that is if I would have a pastor give me permission to call any five families in their church at random and to ask this question, do you know who your shepherd is? Hmm. Who's your elder? And if I could get four out of five to say, a name that they know, then I'll know that they've done something. They've at least made the attempt to establish a relational connection between the elders and the people. And and I think the relational component, I mean, ministry is relational, like you said. It's not 
transactional. Shepherding is not simply, I have information that I'll pass on to you, mm-hmm. but it's life on life. It is the one and others of scripture being lived mm-hmm. out. And it is, it's coming alongside and bearing one another's burdens, mm-hmm. which we're all supposed to do in the church, but the spiritual shepherds are there with a particular responsibility in that area. It's also supposed to be functional. Talk about it being functional. What do you, what do you mean by that? Functional. Um, what I have in mind there is that uh, in the book, we talk about the four uh, shepherding functions. Right. Uh, knowing, feeding, leading, and uh, protecting the flock. And so this just means that we're taking each of these things into account on the relational micro level. So the knowing is obviously we just talked about the relational um, connection between leaders and, and the people. Uh, feeding is making sure that they're growing, that they're being discipled. Uh, leading is helping them, again, not just helping the congregation on a macro level to find mission and vision and things like that, but also to to help guide uh, the flock as they have questions, as they have issues that come into their lives. And then uh, protecting uh, on the micro level, which has to do with the, the hard work of admonition, uh, the hard work of, of church discipline. But one of the things when it comes to the protecting piece is that, you know, discipline is a hard word to hear, especially in our culture. But church discipline is really, it's a shepherding function. It is. You're right. So that in Matthew 18, verse 15, it uh, talks about what we should do if brother sins against us. But people forget what goes before Matthew 15. And of course, I mean, not just Matthew uh, 1814, but I mean the parable of the good shepherd. Mm-hmm. And the question is, well, how many sheep have to be straying for the good shepherd to notice? The answer is one. And then in Matthew 1815, he talks about what that looks like. That's where you have the picture of going after a brother who sinned against you, etc. And then following that, you've got Jesus' parable about the importance of forgiveness. So I think you've got the whole the whole package there, but I think it really helps people. Uh, if your church planners are listening to trying to figure out, well, how do I work church discipline into my discussion with with new people? Look at Matthew eighteen mm-hmm. because it's all there. Yeah, and and most people get hyper focused on that moment when you tell it to the church, which right in right. In, in, in fifteen years of doing local church ministry, we've had to do that twice. And it's never, nobody looks forward to that. And it's always done with tears, but there have been dozens of times where we've, we've been able to go to our brother and, and our brother's been one. And that's as much a function of church discipline as the tell it to the churches, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, the argument that I make, which is not again, rocket science, but uh, we're going to be far more effective on the tell it to the church stage if we have a relationship with people. So oftentimes, and sadly in churches, the first time we hear about something is when uh, Bill leaves Sally, you know. When the crisis has come. Yeah. And if we'd had a credible relational connection with them early on, uh, perhaps that could have been avoided, uh, precluded. Elders need to be accountable to one another. Yes. Is that the ideal? 
Yes. And what's that accountability look like? Well, you know, it's it's interesting that it looks different in different places, but I would say of the seven elements of an effective shepherding plan, this is probably the one that is the most in danger in churches. Uh, hmm. The other one is the comprehensiveness test. But here, uh, accountability is basically once you have a, a plan in place, to hold one another accountable to accomplish that. In many churches, this comes in a monthly officers meeting where there's accountability to report prayer requests or issues among the sheep. In, in some places, there may be a dedicated meeting just for shepherding accountability. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, I've worked with a, a couple of churches who have electronic accountability. Wow. Uh, I mean, it's uh, Perimeter Church in Atlanta has developed a shepherding app so that uh, they can see on their on their phone if they have been successful, and their shepherding team can see if they've been successful in contacting their people within a certain amount of time. It's quite it's mm. quite remarkable. Most of us mm. uh, are not sophisticated or wealthy enough or <laughs> to pull that off, but there needs to be some way. For elders to report to to one another or to a shepherding coach or whatever it might be. And if there is an elder who is just, he, he's overwhelmed or for whatever reason, his shepherding is falling through the cracks, do you, do you ask that brother to step away? Uh, I think there are a couple of different ways to deal with that. Um when I first introduced the shepherding ministry in, uh, in my church near Philadelphia, I was a 33-year-old guy, and uh, all the elders were, well, about my age now. They were old, <laughs> which didn't seem, you know, doesn't seem so old now, but back then they were all old. Right. Most of them embraced it, but one of the elders just came up to me and flat out said, hey, Tim, I just want you to know I'm not going to make any phone calls. So this was a guy who's been an elder in the church for decades and, and had a completely different view. And I was, as a youngster, I wasn't going to say, well, then you should resign. No, I didn't say that. What I said to him was, well, Bill, I'd appreciate it if, if you would just sit with me when I make my shepherding report and help me pray for the sheep. And he did that. Mm. And I was hoping that the uh, the heart for shepherding would be caught, if not taught. Well, it didn't take, so to speak. Uh, he moved away to a retirement community and went to another church. And early on in his attendance in that church, he went up to the minister with a copy of the shepherd leader in his hand and told the minister, well, this is something you should be doing. So <laughs> he wasn't willing to do it. But sometimes, sometimes it, you, one of the things you said was, they're overwhelmed. I think there's a way you can either you can either lighten the load for that particular elder, um, or by moving some of his flock to another elder, or just giving him a break for a period of time. Uh, I'm not an advocate of the uh, the term elder hmm. uh, class system uh, because I believe that it uh, it has an impact on continuity and shepherding. But there are certainly reasons why an elder can 
diminish some responsibilities for a time uh, in order to regroup and refresh and renew. Mm. And we've had that happen. We've had elders, for whatever reason, have needed to step away for a season, mm-hmm. not be involved, and until they could get issues resolved, some in the workplace, whatever, they they just needed a rest from that. I, I think you're right. And w- one of the things we should acknowledge here, this is an area where um, – I think you and I are in the minority, but I think we're right. <laughs> and, and that is, if, if God has set someone apart yeah. as an elder, um, God has not set him apart for a two-year term or a three-year term. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. He is giving the evidence that this is a part of God's gifting and calling for him. And if that's the case, then he does that for as long as that gifting and calling remains intact and, and effective. And I've got guys serving alongside me who have been fellow elders for 15 years yeah. in local church ministry. And you know what? There's, are there times they get weary in that? Could, can we use some refreshing? Sure. That's part of my job is to try to make sure we stay refreshed. Yeah. But the thought of any of these guys mm. um, unplugging, what, what a, what a tragedy that would be to me. And for our church, these are guys who know the sheep and love the sheep and serve the sheep. Amen. I don't want them to think, well, now I can take the next two years off and play golf. Huh? Right. I mean, come on. Right. Well, when I was doing research for the book, I asked leaders, I said, well, what's the advantage of the class system? And 90% of them said, well, you can get rid of a bad elder. <laughs> but my retort is, well, you also get rid of the good ones. Yeah, right. That's the problem. Um, so, uh, and another thing that uh, impacts this as I mentioned, so many churches don't have enough elders to do shepherding. And yet out in their congregations, they're sitting probably as many quote unquote inactive elders as there are active elders. Mm, there you go. And, and so, uh, for example, I, I had the privilege a few years ago of addressing the, um, the leadership retreat at First Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina, when Sinclair Ferguson was there. Mm. And or the leaders retreats like 150 people, what? and uh, they became convicted that this is something they needed to do. How are they going to shepherd all these people? And they they did that. They they said, you know, we have so many inactive, quote unquote, inactive elders who've cycled off sitting in a congregation. We'll just use them. And so there's a way to address this if people are committed to. The, the class system is to maintain the continuity and elder care, even if they roll off, if they're willing to continue to do that when they roll off the regular other administrative responsibilities, that's a way that can help maintain the continuity and shepherding. Before I get to the last characteristic, which I want us to talk about, um, it, it, it's been my observation that most church planters as they go in, the lead pastor, the planting pastor, is assuming the responsibility of observing, selecting. He is he is the one who is calling out men to be fellow elders in that church. Mm-hmm. I was uncomfortable with that when we planted our church. I, I was in that lead pastor role, but mm-hmm. I, I there was something about that feels a little presumptuous. I don't think I think in three sixty. So what I did was 
I said, uh, we're going to do a men's study. Mm-hmm. We went through Alexander Strzok's book on eldership. Mm-hmm. And your book is, the those are the two in my mind that mm-hmm. you go through as you go through this. But we went through that. And there were 25 men in the room, and every week we'd go through and we'd look at these chapters and what's this all about? We got to the end of that, and I said, here's my question. As you've looked at the qualifications for eldership, the desire for eldership, the calling, as you look at this, if you feel like this might be what God is calling you to, I want you to come see me, mm. and and then whoever that group is, we're going to vet one another in terms and and we've got to be able to be candid, humble, honest with one another, but we're going to pressure test and see that's how our first elder board got formed was out of those 25 guys who were in that study, I had seven come forward, six in addition to me who came forward and said, I think this may be what God has for me. Mm. And we all got yeah. in a room and asked each other hard questions and you know, one guy said to me, do you do you think uh do you think I have what it takes? And I said, the one area that I, I wonder about is your theological literacy. Mm-hmm. I said, you, you've got a heart, you've got a passion. I just, I don't know if you've got, I just haven't seen it. And, and you know, this brother took that humbly and he said, I agree with you. That's an area I'd like to grow in. Um, and so we were able to move forward with him on a growth track for that area of his ministry moving forward. I, I just say all of that to say, if if you're coaching a young church planter today and he says, yeah, one of the things I want to do is figure out who I'm going to bring on as, as an elder to serve alongside me, do you think there's a best practice for how that happens? I think what you've outlined is a great one. Uh, well, let me let me give you, uh, share an example with you. When I went to the uh, UCC church, of course, uh, first thing they said to me, one of the men who was very unhappy about my coming uh, he said, you'll never find men to lead this church. Oh, wow. And um, he pointed to one of the women in the room and said, hey, you were the president of the consistory, weren't you? And she said, yes, because you wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. But shortly thereafter, I started a men's class. Uh, and in that men's class, we had more than 20 men show up. And it was out of that class that came the first elders and deacons for that church. And so I think it's very very wise to have a process of identifying leaders, um, getting men together, doing study, and as you said earlier, Bob, to see how they're relating to to people already, if they're really caring for the people and and, uh, shepherding the people. The last characteristic you mentioned, which, again, I don't think we want to give short shrift to, but that is the idea that we need to be prayerful in all of this, to try to do this apart from prayer and to not make prayer an undergirding of all that we're doing as elders is a fool's errand, right? It is a fool's errand. And uh, I think when people consider, well, what do I, what do I talk to the sheep about? Uh, well, the best way to communicate your care for the flock is to ask them, well, how can I be praying for you? And then not just to get the prayer request, but to pray for them mm-hmm. and let them know and to follow up if there's been a, a prayer request, to follow up and make sure that you are caring for them in that way. And then uh, as elders, just to be praying for one another as you carry out this ministry, because 
we this is a spiritual enterprise yes and uh, we are doomed to fail if we think we can impact anybody for any reasonable time or uh, significance on our own in the flesh and sometimes we don't feel like we're accomplishing much mm-hmm. but you know our investment our prayerful investment will always be a blessing to us and to the people we serve. Two practical things that have helped me in this area. One is as I'm talking with people in our congregation and they are sharing a burden with me. I, I used to say, thank you for sharing that. I'll I'll keep you in prayer. <laughs> I'll pray for you. And then walk away and forget. Yeah. yeah. I I now more often than not will say, Can I just pray for you right now? Right. Yeah. And right there in that moment, spend time in prayer, which by the way, I find myself praying more for them later if I have prayed for them in that moment than if I just walk away in that moment. Yeah, yeah, very good and the, point. The, the second thing that's helped practically is, and I, I borrowed this from another pastor who said, you know, at the beginning of your elders meeting, when you're kind of going around and talking about what's happening or who you know or what's an update on so-and-so, and then after 20 minutes of that, you say, well, let's mm-hmm. pray about these things, and you take three minutes to pray about it. Hmm. He said, instead of doing that, why don't you at the beginning say, let's open in prayer. And in the context of those prayers, Hmm. we are updating one another on the things that are going on. And so in an elders meeting, I might say, Lord, I want to pray for Shelly. I know what she's going through this week and I'll explain. And I'm I'm briefing my fellow elders on what's going on with Shelly this week. Uh, at the same time that I'm bringing this burden to God, we find we're now spending 20 minutes in prayer for our people rather than <laughs> just 15 minutes of briefing and then uh, a, yeah. a, a little adjunct prayer at the end of all of that. That's very good. That's very good. Well, again, I, I started this by talking about the priority of, of mutual uh, leadership and, and having a plurality in place and how important we think that is. Um if there's a pastor who's listening and he go, you know, I wish that could be what's true in my congregation, mm-hmm. but we have a long history of the senior pastor being the guy and we don't have elders. We've got deacons and the deacons really function like a board. How does a guy bring about a biblical reformation in his church to bring people along and to begin to establish what we've been talking about here? Well, I believe that it, I think it starts with with teaching and preaching, uh, the texts in Scripture, First uh, Peter five, Acts chapter twenty, verse twenty eight, following passages like that, uh, emphasizing the passages that talk about the plurality of the elders, uh, the apostle Paul establishing elders in every city, and he wrote to Titus establishing elders in every church. Uh, building those principles, but I, I think also it's important to begin to. That's if you will. That's kind of a macro introduction, but then the micro is to begin reorienting the the officers to that perspective. So it's interesting to me how how many congregational slash Baptist churches have now moved to an elder model. And it doesn't, I don't mean to sound simplistic, but because the Bible tells me so, I I guess it's the most simple thing, but it's the most profound thing of all to be able to say that. 
but it's it's true the plurality of the elders is is all over the new testament and uh so i i would teach the people uh the congregation but also be mentoring men into those roles and redefining for them what those biblical roles are yeah and and i think you're right as well to say address it on a macro level but also address it on that micro level get with people one on one and hear them out what are their concerns their reservations their why might they be hesitant to want to do this Mm-hmm. And bring them along gently. That's what a shepherd does, right? <laughs> on, on a right. micro yeah. 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 This has been really helpful, Tim. Thank you for spending this time. And thank you for the book. I hope a lot of our guys will see the book. And, and I, we should say the shepherd leader, there was a follow-up a toolkit book that you put together, right? Yeah, it's called the Shepherd's Toolbox. And yeah. it's a follow-up. It uh, has chapters written by individuals who have taken the material of the shepherd leader and made some really good progress. Uh, and I think you're, in fact, there's a, a chapter in there on shepherding and church planting, hmm. but uh, yeah, you might want to take a look at that, but the shepherd leader comes first. <laughs> if you're interested in the order of reading. <laughs> Well, I'm grateful for Dr. Tim Whitmer joining us on The Bounce. I didn't mention this, but he is the tuba player with the Westminster Brass and has been doing that since 1976. So kudos to uh, Tim Whitmer, who's not only a pastor and a shepherd, but he's a tuba player as well. In the show notes, we have information about Tim's book, The Shepherd Leader and The Shepherd Toolkit. Again, you'll find that in our show notes, along with information about the Great Commission Collective. You can always visit our website, gccollective.org, to find out more about what we're up to and about upcoming events. Again, it's gccollective.org. And as always, we ask you to help spread the word about the Bounce Podcast. If you find this podcast helpful, encouraging, equipping for you as a pastor, Pass it along to other pastors you know who you think might benefit from this and leave a comment, uh, like us, subscribe to us. All of those help uh, our podcast be uh, on the radar of pastors like you who could benefit from listening to conversations like these. Now, next time on The Bounce, we're going to talk about one of the hidden sins in many churches. It's the sin of domestic violence, typically wives being physically or emotionally abused by their husbands. And it's all happening in secret and nobody knows. Chris Moles is gonna join us to talk about what we do as pastors to understand what's going on and to deal with domestic violence and domestic abuse when we learn it's happening in our congregation. That comes up next time on The Bounce.